Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with busy women who are simplifying their lives, living intentionally, and creating space for everyday joy. I'm Tammy Thomas, and this is episode six. Today, I'm having a nourishing conversation with Anya Hayes, the lady behind Mother's Wellness Toolkit. Anya is a Pilates teacher specializing in pregnancy and postpartum wellness. She's a huge advocate for women's wellness and shares empowering information via her Instagram page and blog. In this episode, we talk about post-birth wellness, taking time to notice how you're feeling, the trap of social media comparison, and pelvic floor health, amongst other things. Anya has joined forces with a multidisciplinary team of women called the Pelvic Floor Patrol, and they're campaigning for change in postpartum holistic healthcare. There are links to this and Anya's website in the show notes. I'm also really thrilled that Anya will be facilitating a Pilates workshop focusing on pelvic floor health at my day retreat on the 9th of September. Do sign up to the mailing list, which is also linked in the show notes. I hope you find this episode enjoyable and informative. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with, actually, let me start that again, because I don't sound excited enough. Today, (laughs) I'm really excited to be speaking with Anya Hayes, um, who, if you use Instagram, um, her handle is at, oh gosh, mothers.wellness.toolkit thank you very much I was just going to go straight to mother (laughs) toolkit um I can't remember how I came across Anya on Instagram but I know it was definitely Instagram which is why it's one of my favorite social media apps even though it brings up loads of stuff for loads of people and um I was really drawn to her content because it felt for me like a really refreshing voice in conversations about wellness um, particularly about women's wellness and pregnancy and postpartum wellness um, which a lot of the time I just yawn because I'm so over conversations about the beginning of motherhood because I think we spend so much longer in the other part of motherhood Um, but hearing Anya or reading Anya was really refreshing and then I find out she has written four books and she's got her fifth book coming out in September Um, and she does lots of talk about pelvic floor which I think we need to talk about a lot more Um, so I thought right I definitely need to have this lady on my show so before I wander into trying to talk all about Anya I will hand over to the lady herself um, so that she can tell us a little bit about herself and what she does hi Anya hi (laughs) so welcome to 360 conversations it's lovely to be here. Thanks Thank you for, for having me. me. Thank you. Um, please, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So, I am um, a Pilates teacher and an author, and uh, I guess now a kind of speaker about perinatal mental health and physical health. So, uh, sort of the period from pregnancy through to through to birth and beyond. And as you say far beyond you know I think that motherhood once postnatal always postnatal I think this sort of misnomer is that you know once you're six weeks once you had your six week check for some reason you're no longer postnatal or something (laughs) I've had people saying to me I had my baby 18 months ago I'm no longer postnatal am I and I'm like you're always postnatal (laughs) if your baby is 25 years old you're postnatal um so yeah so I um I have one of those portfolio careers that um I realize is now very trendy but I have been doing it for about 
10, 10 years now, sort of always feeling like I was neither here nor there, sort of not quite sure how to introduce myself when I met people saying, what do you do? I was like, oh, uh, well, um, whereas now it's kind of a bit more on trend to be, mm-hmm. sort of have lots of different streams to your um, career. Yeah, it's even got a new name now. It's a multi-hyphen I, career. Exactly, yeah. So I actually bought that book and I was reading it thinking, yes, I'm so trendy. I used, yeah. to, I used to be kind of just slightly odd and now it's actually what everyone is trying to do. So it's sort of nice that it makes sense now in a way. Yeah, because before people kind of thought that that meant you weren't you either weren't doing much or you were a jack of all, all trades. and Yeah, and not doing, and master of none, exactly. Yeah, I think that, yeah. that's what I've always felt, that I was sort of, possibly not doing anything particularly well in inverted commas because I had various different avenues that mm-hmm. I was focusing on whereas actually now I realize it because I have I think you know because life is multifaceted it's really interesting to be able to explore different facets of your you know your skills or your or your interests and make them hopefully make a living from exactly from exactly because <laughs> you're not just one thing and I think that um if you think about how we operate as human beings anyway it makes total sense not for everybody but it makes total sense for lots of people to have this multi-hyphen portfolio career where it's a group of interests quite often with a very with a underpinning similar thread yeah Um, yeah exactly and where it's all brought together and it starts to make sense yeah is happening with me now whereas I think you're right not everyone that wouldn't resonate necessarily with everyone I think no. some people do need that sort of career or linear structure or something whereas actually I've always been slightly <laughs> slightly kind of multi-streamed and yet didn't really know that's what it was until now I'm like oh right yeah it all makes a bit more sense yeah, yeah and I think I think that um it works well for me because I get bored quite quickly um so if I've got that variety, I yeah. keep feeling refreshed because I can tap into different things that all come under one umbrella. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. with the whole move towards the acceptance of a multi-hyphen career, um, I feel almost like I've been given permission to continue as I naturally am, which definitely before yeah. I felt like I was doing something not adult in inverted commas because I wasn't focused on one thing and hamming hammering away when that just doesn't suit me at all and it's so true that actually when you feel like you're going against some kind of societal grain or something that's endorsed by normality you sort of it undermines your confidence about it because you think well if I'm doing this and no one else is doing this then surely it's not the right thing to do and exactly. I'm possibly not doing it well or yeah. you know you kind of your internal dialogue can easily I think in terms of it being actually a brilliant thing you know exactly I agree totally so tell us yes. what led you to your portfolio career in women's wellness well so I, the longer backstory to all of this is that I was working in book publishing and perfectly happy in a kind of, you know, nine to five, this is what everyone does way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and actually, you know, I, do, I enjoyed my job. I was good at it. Um, but then when I was 28, my uh, my best friend died suddenly in, a, in a kind of strange DIY accident. So it was like the most real and horrific uh, grenade that can be logged into your life at that stage and um 
my best friend was uh she had similarly um been she had been on the kind of when we were in our mid-20s you know doing the job that everyone should do and trying to think about your future career and climb up the ladder yada yada mm-hmm. and she um she decided when she was 25 actually I don't I'm not enjoying this what am I doing this for and so <laughs> she decided to leave her job her sort of quite steady corporate job and uh, go back to art college um and study theatre design or costume design mm-hmm. and it was so everyone I remember so many of our school friends were like what's she doing you know, that's ridiculous she's mm-hmm. got a steady job you know and everyone was all very sort of judgmental of it but I realized uh, so when she died just like she just graduated so she's three years old and she'd had she I'd never seen her more happy you know she was so thrilled to be doing what she really loved mm-hmm. yes she's a bit poor and she was 28 and she was poor but she was really happy and it made me realize that actually she was probably the only person that I knew at that stage in our life when we were 28 which is you know the new adolescence yeah but it's not young <clears throat> I mean it's not you know you aren't a teenager anymore 28 is adult yeah uh, and I realized that so many of us were doing jobs that we felt we should be doing for some future kind of Elysian fields of happiness or fulfillment but actually at the time we weren't you know Zoe was the only person I knew who was actually happy <laughs> you wow. know, she was doing what she really wanted to be doing so I then um that kind of set you know that life's too short literally life's too short not to be doing something you love yeah um and six weeks after she died me and my then boyfriend went to Thailand uh and I went to a yoga retreat and there was, the tsunami happened oh my and god that, Anya luckily we had, by pure sliding doors fashion, we were just, we had a massive fight about it. In fact, we were going to go to Kopi, uh, but we'd been to Thailand many times before because we'd travel it after traveling and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and I had found out about this yoga retreat, and there was something about it that was pulling me in the opposite direction. I wanted to go to Kopanyang, which is the opposite side of Thailand. And me and Kieran had this big fight in Bangkok. He was like, I want to go to Kopi P. You're being ridiculous. And I was like, I am grieving. I need to go. There's something about this yoga retreat yeah. that makes me want to go there. And we went there. And luckily, we weren't in Kopi P, which was devastated by the tsunami. My goodness. Three days later. Uh, so, and I remember so clearly just having this kind of real, kind of, kind of horrific, literally like tsunami of grief and thinking, gosh, had had I not, and I'm, I'm normally, at the time, I was quite, easily swayed and not wanting to not wanting to what's the word not wanting to kind of put my foot down and very easily in other circumstances I probably would have said to you yeah that's fine I was going to say because a lot of women in that situation would have said oh okay the argument yeah yeah. and actually and so it was so such a powerful kind of vindication for me that I had followed my heart because for some reason I needed to go to this yoga retreat and I just thought, apart from anything else, God, can you imagine for all my friends and family having lost Zoe six weeks before, then for me to die too? It just exactly. Me, I was like, I can't actually believe this is happening. So, I, and at this yoga retreat, um, the teacher there was actually from um, Southeast London. <laughs> she um, she had trained at the Larvin Centre as a Pilates teacher, and so we were doing some Pilates. And I was like, I just had this kind of real realization that, and I was doing Pilates in my life as well mm-hmm. for years. And I just thought, this is what I really love doing this is this um you know this is what makes me feel alive and literally I need to feel alive right now and I thought maybe I need to do this maybe this is what I need to change you know and that real sense of kind of you know a Zoe being the only person I knew who was doing something that she loved doing was really motivated by passion and purpose and not how much money that might make her 
the further down the line, you know, security, which is not always, you know, I know you have to have an eye on yeah. security in modern life, but it was really refreshing that she was going so against this kind of judgment um, or sort of dictation of societal judgment norms. Yeah, um, no, totally, because that can really make you shrink. Yeah, totally. And for a woman as well. And like, you know, you, we are so, uh, it's, I think the older we get, the braver we get, hopefully. But I do feel like when you're in your 20s as a woman, it's very easy to be sort of, you know, just follow the path and, and not make, not disturb, not, not make waves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, yeah, with especially, it was almost like a kind of real physical manifestation of my grief with Zoe dying, that we were in Thailand and the tsunami was just so horrific. And obviously we went back to Bangkok, just the, all the pictures of the missing people. It was just, it was I remember really, it clearly. Yeah, and obviously I wasn't, oh, you know, the trauma was not actually being within the actual experience, but it really left me with this kind of, I need to make sure my life is going in the direction that it has to go, that I want it to go. I need to actively steer my life. I don't want to be taken along with a flow that I'm not completely um, happy with. And so I did, um, in the following year, me and Kieran ended up splitting up for various reasons and we've been together for 10 years so basically my whole life Zoe dying us splitting up just all fell into a kind of you know abyss for how old were you at that time 28 so it was that kind of um yeah so we uh, we split up just for my 29th birthday and um and I just thought right so I immediately signed up to train to be a Pilates teacher because wow. I was like this is what I need to do um, and then, yeah, so in a nutshell, I luckily or serendipitously ended up being made redundant from my full-time job. And I don't think I would have probably, I think after the kind of, you know, when, you know, it's scary to leave a full-time secure job in yeah. London, especially when, especially, you know, after I was in so much flux anyway, because of having split up with a, a, a boyfriend I was living with and stuff. So it was actually like a completely chaotic time, but out of that chaos, um, I started training. I actually moved back in with my parents, you know, how you do when you're... Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, right, I just have to build myself up from rock bottom. And what was really interesting was that, for me, that's given me a real... Because that was a real mental health... You know, that was a pure depression in terms of sadness. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like I'd lost a limb. And, you know, I really had to kind of... I felt like a kind of huge tree that's had a huge bow cut off like I'm still standing but my whole balance was completely affected and and I I can imagine my best friend sometimes she goes off to LA to do her music and this that and the other and uh, well I've got three best friends um but this one I don't know I'm into star signs and stuff but I think because we're both water signs we kind of just have like this magnetic something that goes on between us and I could go for days and days without speaking to her which is fine but the moment I know she's in another country I just kind of feel like well off balance that's the word off balance and um I really really miss her yeah so I can't imagine being I I think that 28 is such a um definitive age oh, absolutely i mean if you look at the kind of seven we you know we we, re- we generate and there are changes every seven years exactly like it's like really rege- rege- regenerative yeah age. and psychologists age. say that that's when we reach real maturation that's when we actually become adults yeah and it's funny because when zoe died or just before zoe died i think i was i think i was probably i was you know 
I think as we maybe all do, I don't know, but I was, I've always been a bit hippy dippy. I've always been quite kind of into yoga and mm-hmm. um, my mum's a crystal healer, which is probably, okay. and, uh, and I, before Zoe died, I was already kind of looking a bit more inwardly and trying to, and noticing that I was possibly quite self-sabotage. Like I, I, my inner critic was very, very loud. It was always <laughs> tuned into to critical fm quite a lot yeah and i think i was already sort of noticing that that was becoming maybe not serving me very well and so when zoe died i was like why why did you, you know if there's a higher power i don't believe in god but, but you know yeah sort of like why did this have to happen to, to force me into something that i was already moving on my way all, yeah. yeah but it definitely did you know if if anything good can come from horrible things it definitely you know, it's almost, I'm quite gutted that, you know, Zoe has no idea that any of this happened. Like, if mm. I spoke to her now, she'd be like, oh, my God, you've you know, changed your job. You still up Kieran, oh, my mm-hmm. God, you know, all these things. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that, you, you, I, yeah, grief is, I mean, it's a whole other topic, isn't it? But I do want to train as a grief counsellor because I think bereavement is something that, um, you know, when you lose someone, you never lose them. Like, Zoe is still my best friend, but, like, she's just not here. It's yeah. A, just bugger in the world but she's yeah. still someone that I very often would sort of she's still one of my kind of kind of benchmarks for what was she think or I can imagine her yeah. laughing you know that kind of thing she's still my fulcrum in my balance a lot uh, I guess but um but yeah so so I, I think also a good thing about that was that in in experiencing true depression if you like like I remember going to the doctor and, and you know crying and just saying am I depressed and he was like you are you are you are suffering a really horrendous time but I feel like you seem to know that they you know you know how to, you will know how to pull yourself out of it so to his I think I think it was interesting because I think there's a lot to be said for medication in certain circumstances and for certain people but I think for me because it was very much um, circumstantial and I was going through this kind of I was literally just sort of adrift in this quite choppy sea for a moment but I did I did, I've always felt like I've had the tools to pull myself out of those, mm-hmm. of just to know that it's circumstance and this will pass. And maybe there's a sort of inner Buddha in me that mm-hmm. knows that these things are transitory and you need to learn and grow from them. And then, and you know, hopefully there will be light to you know at the end of any tunnel. So, um, and ultimately, yeah. So for me, that it did kick off the start. Being uh, made redundant meant that I had this kind of three times I need to focus on, on training to be a Pilates teacher because uh, it's like a kind of internship you have to um, uh, you have to sort of do lots of supervised teaching and, and um, like a you know um, what's the word like be a, have mentors that you mm-hmm. watch them teaching and that kind of thing right so it takes quite a long time and there was anatomy exams and all those kind of stuff and I think I'd sort of slightly naively underestimated all of that when I was like oh just be a Pilates teacher <laughs> Um, just rock up, do a six weeks course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it took me about two years um, to qualify. And then, yeah, so then since then I've just been sort of um, freelancing as an editor and Pilates teacher. And then since becoming, and I was trained in pre and postnatal before having babies, but I don't think you can really fully, fully understand the kind of, um, you know, volcanic change in your life and in your physiology until you've have experienced it yourself yeah it's one of those things you have to have been there I had a cesarean and when I hear people talk about natural birth especially when it's traumatic 
Yeah. I just think, well, thank God for that. <laughs> because <laughs> I know it was major surgery. I know that, yeah. you know, the, the yeah, world in that room that. saw my pelvis <laughs> and my innards and all of that. But I just yeah. think people's hoo-hahs suffer. Trauma, yeah. Did you have an elective cesarean or was it a... No, I didn't. I didn't. I had to... Um, I was induced because my placenta was very small. So my daughter started to lose weight. Um, oh, yeah. And they said... Um, and I didn't have a lot of amniotic fluid. So they... I was induced. Kind of, yeah. And I wasn't ready. So nothing was happening. And you know like you were saying you were really drawn to going to the other end of Thailand I remember going in and starting and I was asking questions about cesarean yeah yeah. and I had this wonderful the most I had quite a few midwives because I ended up being there for a few days but the most (laughs) consistent midwife I had um was um a lady from uh, originally from Trinidad and um so she was quite I think because of that and because she had experience in Trinidad prior to coming to England, she was quite earthy and spiritual, for lack of a better word. It wasn't like a real medical experience with her. And I was saying to her, I'm not asking because I don't want to, because at that time I really did want to have a natural birth. I knew that it was healthier Mm -hmm. for me, healthier for the baby. Um, But I just said, I've just got a feeling and maybe... I, you know, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I said, I've just got a feeling, and there are particular types of dreams I have, and particular types of feelings I get, and quite often, they, more often than not, they play out in life, and she said, no, let's see how that goes. you tune into that gut feeling, don't you? I think we kind of... Seriously, seriously. So, three days after, um, you know, Sintosin, or whatever it's called, and the jellies, and not a lot happening, and then (laughs) my daughter starting to hold her breath every time I had a contraction, they said, um, actually, um, we're going to get you to sign the paperwork just in case, I said, bring it on, and I've never feared caesareans, because my mum had three, me and my siblings were delivered via caesarean section. Right, Um, you didn't have that sense, I think that's the thing, lots of people have this sense that it's bad, or it's not giving birth. I just wanted a healthy baby, and I wanted me to be healthy, so that I could you know feed I didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl but I just wanted I just knew I wanted the baby to be whole I wanted me to be whole I wanted to be able to nourish the baby physically emotionally and all that sort of stuff so I just thought whatever you've got to do just get the baby out so that we can know that the baby's fine because at that time (laughs) they weren't sure because my placenta was small and all of that they started talking about having to have brain scans um I had uh, um, group B strep, so there was... Oh, all I did as st- well. We had a really similar experience. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I was like, just do what you've got to do. Um, and so I understand that, and I do understand about, you know, the after effect, but I don't understand about natural birth, and I, I do think it's one of those things that you are more equipped to be able to work within that field. I'm not saying that you can't if you haven't, but I do think you're more equipped. Yeah, I mean, I do, and I also, I mean, that's not to say there are lots of practitioners who work with pregnancy and ones yeah. who haven't got, got children themselves, and and they're you know obviously they're um, they have skills and talents which yeah, and I don't want to take that away from anybody. That's not yeah. what I'm saying at but all. But I think it does for me personally. I think something clicked in terms of I realised that I'd been teaching pregnancy clients for years, <laughs> and then had my own children, and I was like, oh blimey, you know, I've been doing my pregnancy 
obviously Pilates classes were lots of press ups and lots of oh my gosh and kind of making sure you can you drill sergeant your your body yeah I mean I'm I'm not you know my teaching style is not drill sergeant style but but I did work them quite hard and it's only now that I'm like oh gosh you know yeah (laughs) it was me I would have been like "Um, can we do some breathing please yeah Uh, but you know I mean lots of people do want to do hard work when they're pregnant and that's and the love the beautiful thing about Pilates is that you can there's both there's both kind of soothing and strengthening but um but I think yeah I've tuned in much more to and we're all different but I I think generally there is a mindset there's just you need to be nurtured and, and nourished when you're pregnant and in that early fourth trimester and beyond um and I think it's really important to for me it was really important to start to focus on that as as more of what I was offering mm-hmm. or what I was what I was interested in became what I started offering my clients so I um started a post-cesarean class um about six months after I'd had Morris because I'd had a, a challenging cesarean experience as okay. well um and and I realized that there was just nothing out there for useful information about how you can you can properly heal and rehabilitate post cesarean because it is as you say it's major surgery but it is also seen as quite day you know average <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. everyone has one it's, it's very normal mm-hmm. which is true but it's but it is also there are so many different compromises to your strength and to your ability post cesarean and i think we kind of belittle that to get back to normal and the bounce back you know the kind of when i get back into my normal life and my genes and um and so I did a lot more, um, well, immediately after my birth, I started writing up, a, a, not immediately after, literally in the hospital, but in the months after, because I'd had a really traumatic birth experience. So it was a crash cesarean um, and Morris wasn't breathing when he came oh out. Oh my so gosh. It was one of those sort of, you know, I'd had similarly that three day exciting inju- induction <sighs> situation. Um, and I, uh, yeah, and similarly, actually, I think I probably did um, think because his heart rate was going down even before I was in active labour so there was obviously something wrong and I had mental issues that weren't um, picked up mm-hmm. um, so I had a physical and sort of mental trauma from my birth experience but it was the physical actually that made me really feel particularly adrift because I think partly because I was a Pilates teacher and I was very strong going into pregnancy mm-hmm. I was very sort of fit in inverted commas but certainly just you know I I guess I was quite proud of my or work, you know, my, my abdominals were my were job, you know. And so to have suddenly that totally taken away from me, I was like, wow, that this is this is this is the kind of again, it was that baseline being stripped down to baseline kind mm-hmm. of reminded me of the grief and bereavement because it was like, Oh, here I am again, rock bottom, yep. to see you. Um but what I found quite shocking was that I didn't even have a follow up appointment at the hospital. I wasn't even visited. I mean I was actually it was a mistake, but I was, I slipped through the net. I didn't even have a midwife visit it. For, what? Um, you know, no, I know. And, and so it was kind of, I'm not quite sure how that happened. Um, and it was, you know, it was all a bit strange, but like three days after my operation, I was, actually, no, we were, we, we didn't get home until about four days after. So um, I got, I had a bit Morris, but um, two days after that, I still hadn't had anyone come to visit. And, and what? I was, and I was suffering from shakes and palpitations, and um, which is quite—I didn't realise—it's quite common after anaesthetic to have that reaction. But it also is could be potentially a sign of infection. Exactly. So either way, it's, it needs to be kind of checked up. So these all these things just left me feeling like, how can this? How can this happen that you get left so adrift? And so I 
started writing up a post-cesarean book proposal immediately because I was like, this has to... I started talking, gathering information from other people, gathering sort of anecdotes and experiences from other women who had had similar experiences. And you just realised that women... We do tend to, and maybe men do it too, maybe I haven't spoken to men enough about this kind of thing, but women tend to, every woman has a story of some kind of traumatic experience or, or you know, that they haven't shared before. And if, they, if you offer a, ch- a chance to, to share it, like, oh, that happened to me and it yeah. was awful. And, this, and you realise that we all just kind of get on with it a little bit and put it in a little backpack and just carry it around. But we don't um, necessarily think it's worth our time exploring for ourselves how to care for ourselves a little bit more and I think that's the problem with postnatal care at the moment is that there's so much mental and physical stuff that goes Mm. on and yet we are just expected to kind of get on with it um sorry to cut you it's really interesting you say that I had a conversation with um on Instagram we all know and love her as at what the judge and she was talking about um the tendency for us as humans the emotions that we're not comfortable with or we um, don't know what to do with we kind of like crumple it up and, and chuck it away yeah and or sit on it <laughs> exactly li- literally and we'll come to that yeah. later on but I think it's indicative of society as a whole that we um we're taught to just keep going yeah and yeah sometimes like if it were if if, and and the thing that blows my mind and I'm so glad that we're in a place where we are scraping past the superficiality of wellness and digging deeper because if your car was rattling and making a clanging (laughs) noise you wouldn't just keep driving it you would take it to be serviced but when it comes to us we just ignore it and the amount of women I've heard talk about all sorts following childbirth that they just left and some of them got things like septicemia or oh, postnatal yeah. depression, and they didn't seek help until it was almost it was, too late. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they were buying into this notion that we just need to push through, like we're yeah. a Ford Cortina. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, I think because I've been thinking, I've been delving into this and why why this is such a kind of British thing, and I wonder whether you know post-war even just post first world war but certainly then post second world war i feel like there was obviously so much grief there was universal grief mm-hmm. everyone had lost someone everyone had lost something that almost that stiff upper, upper lip became a norm because you simply couldn't fall apart because Ooh. otherwise everyone would fall apart and the trouble is we've 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 soldiered on literally we've sort of we've carried that stiff upper lip and attitude through into to a society where thankfully touch wood you know we don't live in a war zone you know we are very lucky in the life that we the lives that we live currently in Mm -hmm. the uk and um and i think but the trouble is that mentality sort of still presides that you shouldn't be open or you shouldn't share and you know i think there's but there's sharing with yourself you need to you need to be able to say actually this isn't right my i know what my normal is and this isn't my normal i'm feeling you know whether it's a mental thing whether you're feeling tearful or you're just being your inner critic that critical fm is is shouting too loud or whether you are you know physically because i think the postnatal depletion thing it's that i think we have a sense that if you leave it unlike with a car you know if you leave something in a car it's eventually going to break down but mm-hmm. with, a, with our bodies we sort of think well it'll get better on its own you just mm-hmm. there's this mentality that oh things will just get better if I kind of 
if I ignore it for long enough. It just keeps plodding on. Yeah, and, and when you think about the work that you're doing when you have a baby, you're lifting and pulling and pushing and twisting and not having any sleep and you're probably not eating very nutritiously because you're think, focusing on your child more than what you're eating. Yep. You're not drinking enough water. And basically, you know, you're you're not putting any oil in your engine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and when you do, pretty much... I don't know, percentage-wise, but the baby gets gets it first. Oh, well, exactly. The baby will also will get everything. You know, that's the thing is that, you know, our bodies are very efficient that way. And I think that's the thing. If, you, if you're if you not really caring for yourself and it's all going to baby and yeah. then you've got nothing left. And, you know, it is for your baby still. You need to kind of be functioning and, and also be be able to see joy still because I think that's the problem there's uh, I'm really fascinated by the link between gut health and um potentially I think there hasn't been enough exploration about this but you know the I think it's something like 90% of serotonin is uh it it is is in your gut yeah and so if you're not if and and most birth actually that's a, a general statement a lot of birth experiences will end up with antibiotics or you know and things that will affect your gut health or even if you're not taking antibiotics, there will be something that you, you, you'll be drinking lots of coffee and not drinking enough water and yep. eating, on biscuit, eating biscuits and lots of sugar, which you need to do when you're breastfeeding or just up all night, you know, even if you're not breastfeeding. And so we're not focusing on our gut health. And if you think about that kind of, you're, only, you're then only functioning on that very low level of being able to create and experience joy. And so if you layer on top of that sleep deprivation, you know anxiety when it comes to what on earth you're doing (laughs) like your baby crying all the time or if you've got a toddler as well all these things are very real factors in postnatal depression and if not if if it's too extreme to say that if you don't if that doesn't resonate with your experience certainly postnatal depletion Mm -hmm. which affects the way that you're interacting with the world around you and i think Anya, i wonder how much culture comes into play so you know I'm of West African background my parents are from Sierra Leone and elders in my family so my mum's aunts and stuff like my grandma died when I was a baby but my mum's aunts and stuff they were around um and they between my mum and that like they insisted that I rest when the baby yeah. rests, don't start running around and trying to do things yeah, when people came. Also, yeah. It, it, it matters so much. Mm. And even yeah. things like my grandaunt who has passed away now, she is just, she was one of the best humans the earth ever experienced. Oh. I think she, she was, she was fantastic through pregnancy when I had my daughter um, so when I was pregnant, I was really craving hot, hot pepper. The spicier, really? the better. My <laughs> eyes would be streaming and my aunt, she would make this pepper sauce and she would be saying, Tamu, it's not good. The baby will be oh. crying in your womb. And I was like, but auntie, I need it. Um, so she would do all that stuff. And then does when your I daughter had... like hot stuff now? Yeah, she does. she does. She does. She does. She's a proper little African, that one. Um, and then when I had her and um, I was breastfeeding, um, like because of the experience I had, I was so determined to breastfeed. It took us about yeah. six weeks to properly establish and her to latch on. And 
there were points in time I was thinking, do you know what, sorry, I'm just going to give her a bottle. Yeah. Um, and the reason, and how I know that she, we had got to the point where breast was it, um, my cousin turned 30, I think about six weeks after I had my daughter, and she was having a party, and this was her first party that she had, a proper party that she had organised for herself. And so she was really keen for me to come. So I, I said that I would go to the party um, and I knew that my daughter would be um, absolutely fine. She um, point blank refused to have the bottle when I wasn't there. Um, in the end, a teaspoon had to be sterilised and she was fed with the teaspoon. As soon as I got back, like she literally just had about four or five ounces of milk. As soon as I got back, the way she was nuzzling in my top and then that was it I thought okay then and then she refused to have anything else but my aunt um she was very keen on making sure that I was eating lots of um fermented food um and I didn't I I didn't exactly I I didn't know I don't like um fermented food like one of the staples across West Africa is fufu which is made with um fermented um cassava and um it's very good for your gut and she was insisting that I was eating these types of food and in Sierra Leone like the national dish is cassava leaves which is the leaves of the cassava plant it is the best West African food ever so she would be insisting that I eat lots of food like that lots of things like okra and she wasn't able to explain because in Africa quite often the information is handed down and it's just accepted because we know we get results without actually um yeah having a full understanding but literally the milk was streaming I was like a cow and (laughs) I've said so many times I wish I knew then what I know now because I would have donated milk my daughter wouldn't like sometimes the poor girl was drowning um (laughs) I wish I would have known and I do really believe it was because of the support that I had around me there was I, I I'm slim you've seen me and um I was wearing my same jeans again within six weeks of having her and everybody was going on and on and on about this snapback and I was like hey I'm not trying this is genetic I'm very similar build to my dad and b I'm not even aiming to be like what I was like before like this whole get back to how things were before I think I said it on one of your Instagram posts. Why are we, why do we want to go back to what we were before? It's not before anymore. You can't go back. We should be, why are you having, and this is going to, it's not judgmental. It's more coming from a place of liberation. Why are you rushing to get back to what you were when what you were no longer exists? I know. And I think that's, that is the peculiar thing, isn't it? That we sort of feel like, you should even aim for that because actually you're more you you know you've morphed you've you've it's a metamorphosis into a new a new phase of your life and actually it's the same as saying I want to be 12 years old again exactly a butterfly doesn't want to be a caterpillar again (laughs) it's a butterfly now that's it yeah so it it is interesting and I think that's it it is such a cultural because I mean in in my book in the in uh, the Superman myth, there's a whole because I'm so interested in that different models of motherhood and different cultural patterns because the things that we sort of as a as as in the UK kind of Gina Ford type society mm-hmm. um, sleep training society has sort of suggested things of rods for our back and you know you're creating a clingy child and all those kind of cultural sayings that we've taken on board to create guilt and anxiety as mm-hmm. new ones. 
and nurtures the breastfeeding journey, but also helps healing the tissue, the collagen, and all the kind of mm-hmm. everything that's been through a kind of um, a trauma without the negative connotations of that. But you mm-hmm. know, giving birth is a trauma, however you do it. Um, and you know, physically massaging to help nurture the muscles and, and your pelvis. Everything has been opened by birth. You know, you've been physically and emotionally opened, and mm. to, to physically and emotionally help to close you. Um, and the, the incidence of the symptoms that we are that we take to be postnatal depression are almost non-existent. You know, they, it doesn't happen in the same way because mm-hmm. you ha- you are you have those kind of nurturing practices, and also you're not berating yourself because your baby won't go down for a nap in inverted commas. You know that your baby will just sleep on your chest because that's what babies want to do. You yeah. know, and and it's so all these kind of it is the cultural expectation that you're kind of fighting against yeah I, I think that we have it slightly wrong at the moment although it's definitely changing the last kind of 10 years have have really opened up a conversation about mental health and about you know self-care that wasn't around before and so now I think it, there is more for new mums there's a lot more there's a lot more sort of gentle nourishing nurturing um resources out there rather than the sort of you must put your baby down and only feed them every four hours and you know, all that kind of stuff yeah. which isn't necessarily that that is the kind of get back to your old life immediately and fix your bit work your baby around you yeah um which works for some people but i think that's it's when you try and but it's, it's not the pressure if it yeah, works exactly. for you yeah. that's absolutely fine but yeah. i think that some women really internalize the pressure because of what yeah. they see around them and think that that's what they should that exactly. should that crops up again that's what they should be doing yeah when actually those books can say what they like but those books don't know you and they don't know your mm-hmm. baby sometimes exactly. it's right and proper to listen to yourself yeah because you've created a whole new person yeah. like there is no single person in the whole world who is exactly the same as your baby so exactly. what way would your baby adhere to some kind of randomly arbitrary yeah so i don't care that you're crying you've got another one hour before it's feeding time like come on when you're hungry don't you just eat yeah or drink yeah so when you feel like it like it's funny because i um there's a book which i remember my my sister gave to me when i was pregnant with morris and it's called the baby whisperer by tracy hogg Mm -hmm. and i think it's a sort of slightly more gentle gina ford but it's still in that gina ford-esque kind of mold and i remember reading it when I was pregnant, thinking, oh, this makes so much sense. It's very, it's very regular. It's very scheduled. It's very, you know, this sounds so easy. And then when Morris came out, he was, um, he was only five pounds, 12, but he was 41 and a half weeks. He, he, so he was like, wow, and a half overdue. And he was really tiny, but I had placental issues. And so I had a growth scan that said he was going to be about eight pounds, absolutely fine, normal average, um, on the, you know, on the, on the larger side of average, and actually, he was significantly no. He was on the cusp of being, you know, all the midwives thought he was a premie when they saw him. Yeah, was like my like daughter was uh, four pounds seven. Oh, she was like a little. Like I say to her, she was like a little chicken. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing I did because Morris was like a little bird. I mean, he literally fit basically on the palm of my hand. Yeah, towards you know, he was so tiny, and and it's it, you know, I, I think it's such a difficult thing when you're in that situation and trying to like I was trying to fit this very tiny basically very unhealthy underweight traumatized baby because he had a really traumatic birth yeah um into this Tracy Hogg you know I can't what the thing is it's something like eat sleep do something for you so you put your baby down and you 
do something for you. And I was like, this baby will not, you know, he was, he screamed all the time. Bless him. He was obviously in a bit of pain. I ended up taking him to a cranial osteopath. But I remember after about seven weeks, because like you, I was really determined to breastfeed. But he, for for various reasons, he was obviously just in too much pain from his birth experience. So mm-hmm. he had lots of pain in his jaw and rib- he wasn't breathing when he came out. So he had lots of issues with his ribs, not having open that physicality. Oh, little love. Yeah. So, he better have um, smooth sailing from now yeah. till forever. He's done <laughs> yeah. his trauma. He's had he his bit. Well, hopefully, yeah. So I, we, I, I had a lactation consultant came come round at about seven weeks because he was failing to thrive. And, and you know, my boobs were on fire having not like we just weren't getting it right yeah he saw the Tracy Hogg book sitting on the side and she was like you're not following this are you and I was like bloody hell no he's basically on the boob like constantly <laughs> you know like I can't I can't do every three hours that's ludicrous and she was like good because if you were he would be dead and bloody hell like, look at that yeah, I know and it may I mean I still get a shiver when I think about that but I was like oh my god which she said if you try to force this baby who is clearly malnourished and under like he doesn't have enough food in his system and if you in trying to stop him crying force him into a four-hour structure because yeah. you desperately think that's the normal thing to do he would die and I was like Jesus like you know all I knew was that I needed this book was a normal that I needed to yeah crowbar my baby into and he wasn't doing it so I was feeling like a failure because my baby wasn't normal Look at and that. actually he was starving and all I I mean I probably should have way before given him a bottle because my boobs just simply I wasn't having someone feeding me the right food there. I mean right. I was I remember like I was trying to take lots of turmeric because I'd read that turmeric helps with um with uh, breast milk production and I was just I basically smelled like a curry because I was like, <laughs> <laughs> trying to have turmeric in everything I ate and taking turmeric pills and but you know it just like physiologically it just wasn't happening wasn't. for us and so eventually we can be fed but I, it did make me just think you know all these rules that we have which are gradually being broken down I think yeah. now but you know this was seven years ago all these rules that were very rigid and the kind of if your baby wasn't sleeping seven till seven from four months old or whatever you, you were abnormal um they're just they just don't they don't do anything for anyone they make you know yes that's great if your baby does but if you're one of the probably 90% of the other people in the world whose babies are you know naturally normally need to wake up you just feel like a failure yeah and and that that is the thing I think that um there are some you know my background is social work and I know that um because the service user group are quite often lacking so much they need regimented because yeah, unfortunately yeah. they don't have the skills to be able to be intuitive because their intuition yeah, yeah. has been brought to a really low level because of their yeah. own experiences but yeah. for the rest of us who have had you know as quote unquote normal as normal is um experiences we can be intuitive and it can go one way or the other because what you're you're saying when my daughter was five weeks she went to sleep at about half 11 and at five o'clock in the morning I woke her up because I was because she was so small (laughs) well not not just that I just thought she needs to eat she literally I was on this every every week I was she was getting weighed she needed to eat she needed to eat and um my midwife came round um 
and I knew her previously because I'd worked with her as a social worker so she used to come around it would be, be more of a social visit and I said to her you know she woke she slept from half 11 till five and I woke her up she said why did you do that oh, I said because so she needed though. to meet. she said no she will tell you when she needs to yeah. and I was very fortunate that you know I gave birth to a child that is half human, half mattress. You know? <laughs> but I have friends who, to this day, their children are early risers. And, know. you know, our children are 11, 10, 12 now, and yeah. they're still that way. So I think that's, it's really important. Every human is different. It's like putting all adults onto the same exactly. schedule. It'd be ridiculous. And yet we still we think that babies are able to be put into the same kind of schedule yeah. it's like well maybe that work. i mean yes i think you do need to find a rhythm for you, that works for your day yeah. so i'm not saying that all routine is a bad idea because absolutely no. i think for sanity apart from anything else you need to have a kind of structure but it doesn't mean that everyone needs to have the same structure i think that's what's kind of been leading us down this kind of because i think there was a survey recently that um you know women who tried to follow those kind of very strict regimented um routines from a, from early and if their babies didn't respond you know if they were trying to force a baby who clearly didn't want to be a genophore baby into a genophore routine they were the ones who were more likely to experience postnatal depressive wow. because partly because you feel like you're a failure because yeah. you're not you're not doing the right thing and it's like i wish we could just learn how to be i mean that's the thing that's so that's basically where my you know sort of mission i guess has evolved it's just trying to allow people to be just a bit more gentle on themselves and look actually to their unique bespoke situation and yeah. think well what do I need to do to get through this day what do I need to do to what would help my baby to feel comforted and nurtured and more able to because you know I realized with Morris when I he just cried all the time and it was partly because he was starving but it was also because I was trying to put him down in a Moses basket I was trying to put in a buggy and when I after about seven weeks just Bit, wore him all the time in a rat sling he just stopped crying all the time and yeah. I was like oh wow he just <laughs> you know, needed so that simple. closeness yeah and I didn't even try so instead of thinking oh, I must put him down so I can have time for me instead I put him in a sling and I had two hands and I was like wow exactly. I can actually cut a bagel yeah. and <laughs> yeah. you know I can do yeah. stuff and my daughter she you know we were still very attached and um, what you're saying right there um as soon as I and she was able, you know, African style with your cloth, tying your baby yeah, on your back. Like that, literally, yeah. I always had my two meters or two yards of cloth, um, yeah. which is, you know, a, a heirloom because that's what it was. What I used was what my grandmother oh. used to tie me on her back. I would use that with my daughter and I did have time for me, but I also had time for her. And yeah. she just really thrived on that very close contact yeah and it, and it's funny because even knowing that I had a friend an NCT friend whose baby was a mattress part mattress <laughs> and, he used to, and he would just sleep all the time in his buggy so he was always asleep in his buggy in the corner of the room and I would be there either trying to j jiggle Morris who was crying or you know he was on me and I always felt really envious weirdly not envious is not the right word it was more I wondered why why Morris wouldn't do that and actually looking back I just think oh why didn't I 
why wasn't I celebratory of the fact that it was really lovely that Morris just you know like not that it's not lovely that her baby was sleeping in the buggy that yeah. was, you know but he came the fact that he wanted you or whatever yeah. yeah whereas Morris just wasn't happy unless he was basically just on me with my yeah. heart next to his heartbeat you know and um and I just wish I'd kind of you know, second time round, I think I was more able to just embrace that and go, this is just, I know this is what it's going to be. Yeah. Whereas first time round, I was fighting it and fighting it and felt really, you know, and, and therefore I really did succumb to that kind of birth trauma, postnatal depression kind of spectrum because I was just judging myself a lot, you know. Based on that awful should again, this is what you should yeah. be doing. This is what yeah. we should be. Yeah. So, and of course you get external judgments as well. You know, you get those comments from people, which doesn't help if you're not feeling resilient exactly a, a careless comment from someone will be like even someone saying oh he's always on you clingy baby oh. you know it's like oh you know now i'd be like don't be ridiculous or people saying is he a good baby i'm like what do you mean what do you mean <laughs> like yeah he's amazing yeah oh, does he sleep no he's not he doesn't sleep but he's amazing it's, it's that good baby thing oh i think that what that that is the key to a good post-birth well from the moment you're pregnant forever to just let go of people's judgments because yeah gosh at the time I didn't realize it but on reflection there were lots of judgments and I just think um actually if my baby's crying I'm not going to feel bad for seeing to her because I wouldn't ignore my 11 year old talking to me or asking me a question or expressing hurt, disgust, whatever the case may be. So I'm not going to do that with um, a baby. And I know that particularly within um, African and African Caribbean communities, and I I think actually it's quite a, a Western thing as well. When a baby cries or a child falls down, oh, don't cry, don't cry. Yeah, be yeah. brave you're good you're a big boy yeah. you're a good girl or whatever yeah. and I'm just like shit if I've hurt myself I've hurt myself yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and I know that there was a lot of I indulged my daughter when she because you know she can be very dramatic but I just thought well she's a baby or she's a toddler it's highly unlikely that she's going to be 10 wailing and flailing all over the place <laughs> yeah. and, and then, then starting all over again only, yeah it's the only manner of communication exactly that they have not you know and, and it's only that we've missed more subtle signs before they've got to the crying stage exactly but you know that's the whole point isn't exactly. it exactly taking time to notice yeah, yeah. thinking yeah. about what you were saying about um uh being um bespoke and you know yeah. you're unique and not falling into a pattern of essentially comparison based on you know other people's experience judgment expertise or whatever how do you maintain your uniqueness within because like we both use social media quite a lot to share our messages Mm. how do you maintain your uniqueness within that because wellness is a huge sort of buzzword on so everywhere and it plays out (laughs) in social media and it means lots of different things for lots of different people yeah um what I what really draws me to yours is because in many ways it is literally physically and emotionally from the inside out um how do you main your uniqueness and don't fall into this sort of trap of images of slim women on the top of mountains looking towards the sky (laughs) yeah (laughs) green smoothies yeah Um, yeah I think because it's interesting because I was on Instagram for years before Instagram became what it is a big thing Yeah. yeah so so to a certain extent my Instagram has sort of 
evolved without a, a kind of mission statement. Like I've never, I didn't come onto Instagram in order to create Mother's Wellness Toolkit. Mm-hmm. It, I was already on in Instagram when just sort of sharing pictures of Morris as a toddler and and there's been a natural progression. But as a result, it's interesting because I don't really see, I don't curate or plan my Instagram posts with any sense of forward planning. I think probably I should. I don't know. That's a should again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because the more I hear about sort of other in inverted commas brands, it kind of makes me, I don't feel like myself as a brand. So mm-hmm. identify with that term. But when I hear about others sort of planning and um, forecasting and, and using apps to kind of schedule their posts, it always takes me by surprise because I, I always, like, for example, I'll be in the shower and I'll think, oh, actually, I'll think of something that I really want to yeah. That, that that resonates with me or that I'm feeling and and then I'll kind of usually write a post while pushing the buggy <laughs> back from the school run yeah. um so my posts are very much of the moment and something that I that suddenly occurs to me that really affects me so mm-hmm. so in that respect that sometimes especially recently I think I've probably succumbed to a bit more of looking at what other people are doing on Instagram. And I, actually, I found that has really suppressed my... Lady, lady, lady. Yes. Because it makes me fall into the comparison yes. trap. It makes me think, oh, I'm not like that person, yep. or I'm not doing as well as her. Or, and actually, I've really found, found that that has made me question my voice or question what I'm doing. And I think once you're questioning it, it's not, it's not authentic anymore. No. And therefore, if you're trying to force something <laughs> you know like it's not for me if I'm having to if I'm posting because I feel like I have to or because I need don't to do, do it, it. I just think actually there's no point in me doing this yeah. because what you know what will I be actually saying to anyone so for me my posts are always a particularly thing at the moment the things that inspire me to to write a post are usually things like you know when I have a new postnatal client like I had a client recently who was just about to go back to her full-time city corporate job because she was the, the breadwinner in the better commas in her mm-hmm. family and she was four months um postnatal mm-hmm. and she had just gone back in two days a week for kind of a couple of weeks to um ease herself in and she was like and I just feel because I can't fit into my city clothes anymore and I just feel mm. and, I've, and I've got this room that I have to go and pump it in and I just and I'm not and she was just really struggling and 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 I just got her to lie back over a Pilates ball and just soften and breathe and mm-hmm. it just made me think well the pressure that we put on ourselves physically and emotionally immensely like she was going back into a very adult corporate environment four months after she had exactly. a baby and she, it took and double she that was, to get to yeah. yeah well exactly and so but she was really berating herself for not being normal yet you know and 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 not being able, and she was sort of saying, "Oh no, I sort of was crying when I was pumping, and I just this is awful. I'm not ready for this, but I feel like I should." You know, like she yeah. was, she was berating herself for not being ready, and it was like, "Look, we just need to. Yes, real life, you know, does have to happen. We unfortunately in our modern lives we don't usually live in villages and have people massaging massaging our bellies, mm-hmm. and feeding us warm soup every day mm-hmm. for forty days. But at the same time, we do need to take some element of that." whatever however we can in kind of micro nourishment um and just notice how we can look after ourselves a bit more because i think as you say you know if you ignore your rattling car you're just going to break down on the motorway at the least convenient time (laughs) when you just when it's raining and you haven't got insurance or you don't have the AA membership to come and exactly and 
And I think unless you pay for the insurance or sign up for the AA to come and rescue you, and that is moments of, you know, just, I think it's even the tiniest things of things like drinking a glass of water or, you know, and for me, my Instagram feed tends to be that is when I remember that I think these things that we all are kind of obvious that we all should really know, but we really don't because yeah. it's too simple, you know, like the breathing and the drinking water and the standing up tall. Um, well, you know, I, um, well, you might not know, I'm sorry. <laughs> the inner narcissist is coming out um but um (laughs) recently uh today today's the final day of um a 10-day journaling challenge yes i don't want to say challenge but you know project whatever um where i've been encouraging people to journal for four minutes a day and what is really amazing is the number of people who have said they want to do it or they have done it a couple of times but they haven't been able to have the time to do it consistently and I'm like and I'm not saying this and again I just want to be clear this isn't about judgment but (laughs) if you can't give yourself four minutes in a day to literally either empty your brain onto paper or to dream on paper yeah what are you telling yourself about how you value yourself exactly even Richard Branson has four minutes yeah but it's also as you say talking about the suppressing and not acknowledging feelings it's the scrunching the paper up and throwing it away yeah mentioned earlier it's it's more like I like to see it as if you imagine a beach ball pressing a beach ball underwater you can hold it underwater only for so long it's gonna it's up and bounce out yeah and I think that what we do instead is we tend these amazing wonderful devices that we carry in the palm of our hand pretty much constantly Mm. when we're feeling kind of we, it's a distraction it's a blocker so we tend I bet I mean most people spend more than four minutes a day scrolling on their phone thank <laughs> yeah. you very much and, and it's one of those things that if you actually take the time I mean if we you know the, the challenge would be put your phone in a locked cupboard yeah for an entire day if you can't manage an entire day an hour <laughs> see if you and miss it. yeah and <laughs> yeah and, and yeah mind your own bloody business girl yeah. but that's <laughs> You know, and it's really hard because I, when I'm working, because um, I work from home, and I um, always have to put my phone onto charge in the kitchen, and I work upstairs because if I don't do that, the temptation. I just check my phone all the bloody time. Like, oh, Annie, I'm so glad you said that. I thought I was alone because sometimes oh, I don't even no, realise I'm doing it. Then I'm like, you're doing yeah. it. I know, and it's written, and then you end up in the kind of vortex where you're scrolling instagram not even people that you even know <laughs> i mean or even follow necessarily <laughs> and you're like why am i here i'm suddenly oh thank um, you i, I needed me, that it's, it's that it's the mindless scrolling and yes and because i'm so aware of it and it was really annoying actually because when i was writing one day um i'd put my phone and i was actually in a real good groove of leaving my phone and not even checking it and then i went down after a couple of hours and actually i'd missed three calls from morris's school and he'd had an accident i had oh to go and i was like oh god and so that has made me, that's actually unfortunately and annoyingly given me a slight anxiety about leaving my phone completely because I do have this slight sense of... I had an experience with that, slightly different. I was at work and my phone was in one place and I was in another place and my daughter's school were trying to get hold of me. She used to do this weird thing when she was little where she'd cry and hold her breath and then faint and they thought she was oh. having an epileptic fit. Yeah. Um, but what I... if you, I don't know about other phones, but if you've got an iPhone, you can put your phone on um, Do Not Disturb, which 
doesn't help with the scrolling, but yeah. you can allow certain numbers still to get through. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because I, yeah. I think that's the thing. That Stupidly, that one thing has slightly sabotaged. So now I'm like, so I work in my bedroom. I have a sort of desk in my bedroom. And now I, I naively think, well, if I just throw my phone on the other end of the bed and then it would mean I'll have to walk all the way over there and get it, I still bloody do it. Like, exactly. so that's the thing. Phones are so addictive. Yeah. But we have, that's why we have to just be really mindful the trouble is it's exactly the same as going to the gym you know we know that that's what we or not going to the gym because i i think movement exercise needs to be reframed but say yeah. the idea of going to the gym to hone your body yeah or to work on your fitness we know it's the right thing but we still go oh self-sabotage i'm just i'm tired, tired. i've been really busy today yeah. i'll go tomorrow yeah all the excuses and the and the thing that i and it's it's exactly the same about self-care in terms of your mental health or your just as you say just writing down your dreams and stuff we do have the time we all have the same 24 hours in a day it's just How we now it? unfortunately have so many more opportunities to squander that time yeah, yeah. in the name of like instagram is so wonderful in so many ways but it is a vortex yeah. and it's a time it's a time sapper yeah um and so for me i really have to almost kind of say out loud to myself you're being ridiculous put the phone away yes yes <laughs> yes that's my life yeah because I've been doing the same I've been doing your journaling thing and it's and it has it, it's apart from anything else you realize that the physical act of writing is so much more of a kind of sensory experience than scrolling on your phone yeah. and it invites a lot more active brain involvement yeah. and even if you think that engaging on Instagram is a and it is it's a lovely social community community thing to do but you're neither you're neither exploring your own mind nor actually engaging with other people really because you're not seeing them face to face and no. i think you know human beings we need the nuance of physical yeah you know face expression yeah. and, and hugs and you know, yeah. gestures totally. which you don't get on social media which invites like for me i really find at the moment i'm in a little bit of an instagram lull because i'm not quite sure of my motive sometimes i'm thinking do i am i posting this or before I write something, I've been second-guessing posting recently because I'm thinking, do, am I doing this because I want loads of likes and then do mm -hmm. I get upset when I don't get lots of likes? And if that's the motivation, I just think, actually, I don't, don't do it. Think I, need to, I don't think yeah. I should do this, you know. And so that's why I've been a little bit more quiet on Instagram recently. Yeah. I sort of need it to get back to, I need to find my mojo again in yeah. terms of just wanting to share. Being purposeful. You know. Yeah. I, and yeah. I find very much so that... Um, if I'm scratching around, then I just shouldn't post it because the motive is wrong. And yeah. that when I'm posting with purpose, the words just come. It flows, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I have to be, because 360 is a number of things, and some of the things that are easy to share, for example, is the fashion element. Yeah. And I know that human beings are human beings, humans were human, people like to see pictures of me. Um, yeah. not, not necessarily because of me, but they like to like pictures of people. I have to be really mindful because I'm not trying to be a um, fashion influencer, outfit of the day style blogger. Yeah. There's a lot more um, to do with wellness and how it you, makes yeah, you feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the dress, whilst yes, it is a dress, the intention behind the dress or behind anything is that it is a garment which is one piece it's not designed so that if you're in a rush you can save time yeah. it's designed so that you can take more time 
in your morning to set yourself up for a good day yeah, so I've really yeah, yeah had to think about that and I was having a conversation um, with my friend Sarita because I just think that she's really great at putting posts together yeah and the first question she asked was are you posting for likes or are you posting out of creativity and for me I want to post out of creativity and sharing the brand message yeah and as long as I'm doing that I'll share the post I'm not checking it every two minutes yeah whoever likes it likes it whoever doesn't doesn't yeah and I think that's what I've realized recently because it's that's all and as you say it's the integrity of what you're doing needs to be that's the only thing you need to answer to you know that and and I think the trouble with Instagram is that it does it does start to make you that dopamine hit literally yes kind of going yeah I like you instant gratification as as a kind of yeah and so I think that's for me I've had to yeah I well can you start doing more of your pelvic floor exercises please I miss those yes I need to so that's the thing so I've realized that um you know that's so needed out there and I need because of my Instagram I've stopped doing that so I need to actually come back to the message and pelvic floors um are my um my number one <laughs> my number one um, love at the moment so I need to, to start to spread the word so because, tell us yeah. how you came there because I think it's absolutely brilliant I think that these are the conversations that we need to be having yes. um, because when you explained pelvic floor exercises well since I knew what they were I've been doing them wrong um, and they're really vital for womb strength and absolutely. all that sort of stuff everything Every, your pelvic floor is you know, essentially, you're, is affected by every single movement that you make every single day. So it's not just, right. you know, even people who haven't had children, men need to work on their pelvic floor, need to be conscious of the health of their pelvic floor. Um, and it's, it's certainly kind of, so the pelvic floor patrol, um, which you maybe have seen on Instagram. Yes, I have. Is, uh, um, there are a group of five of us uh, who well, we got together about a year ago, um, who met via Instagram um and so this is we're a multidisciplinary group so there's um me i'm a pilates teacher and just general women's health kind of advocate um there's emma who's a women's health physio elizabeth is a postnatal doula and fitness uh, personal trainer ria is an obstetrician and gynecologist um the doctor money mummy so she's um you know awesome presence on absolutely and um, and Amal Hassan is um, she is a fitness doctor, so she rehabilitates um, athletes after injury. So mm-hmm. she's a musculoskeletal specialist, and we all basically have had challenging postnatal journeys in terms of our physical recovery. Um, and I think it's like basically, as you say, everyone talks about doing pelvic floor exercises, but there's no there's there's a real misunderstanding. Well, a there's a physical misunderstanding of how you actually even do them, and I think the trouble is that the, the kind of person who would tell you to do the pelvic floor exercise doesn't then explain or probably even know very in depth themselves it's kind of bandied about quite a lot by healthcare professionals who need to tell you but don't understand fully because they've never really been trained in it themselves Mm -hmm. how how you access that feeling what the feeling should feel like you know um and i think as a result the problem is that we kind of as we were talking before you ignore issues that have now been generally accepted as culturally normal to laugh off like incontinent we make jokes about tenor lady exactly there are so many oh isn't it hilarious i wet myself when i sneeze 
And yes, I think it's very important for us to be able to talk about these things lightly and not um, and not and not demonise it or make it a taboo. But but I think also it's about smashing the stigma without. Yeah, we shouldn't it. just accept it like that yeah. is the norm when there are yeah. alternatives. Exactly, and I think that's the problem. There's a general misunderstanding, or there's a there's not the awareness that you don't have to put up with it. You know, physio there is it is proven to help with pelvic floor dysfunction now pelvic floor dysfunction doesn't necessarily mean incontinence it can mean you can uh, you know you can just sort of have a pain and heaviness in your pelvic floor a sort of feeling of bearing down uh, just a feeling of not being right any pelvic pain um is a sign that things aren't completely okay um and so you can be also the the reason i say pelvic floor exercises are often misunderstood is we kind of talk about it in terms of squeezing and lifting yes and, and actually, it's so much more nuanced than that because it, it's almost like if you imagine an accordion, you press the accordion together, yes, but you then open it out and yeah. and and enable it to move and and make the music by undulating forward and back. Um, it's the same with the pelvic floor. There needs to be that full spectrum of movement and engagement. So letting it go as well as lifting it up. And when you only lift, lift, lift and squeeze, you create something called hypertonicity, which is just... If you can imagine just holding your fist clenched constantly, yeah. you wouldn't be able to make a cup of tea or write yeah. or do anything if you had your, your hand cl- clenched all the time. So it's the same with your pelvic floor. It doesn't enable a full balanced movement of your body and your breath if you're only aware of the clenching side of it. Um, so that's Blimey. what we want to do with, with the pelvic floor patrol. It's, it's for bottom line is to raise awareness to make sure literally bottom line (laughs) 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 trying to allow women to just know that actually there's something that you can do to empower yourself by by learning about your pelvic floor and knowing how important it is because the you know the fundamental fact is pelvic floor health declines with age yeah there is no getting around that and so if you start from a weakened pelvic floor postnatally and you then just think oh it'll just get better that's just not true <laughs> unless you take it into your own hands so what if you've had what if you've had a baby you know 15 years ago or so and you, had... you can do because that's the that's the problem i think there's a lot of women who are even in their 50s and 60s who are suffering suffering pelvic floor dysfunction and issues and you know the whole mesh scandal uh, the vaginal mesh where people have had surgery to re- to repair yes. um piece of incontinence you know I- Arguably, these women 30 years ago, if they had been shown the right way to do pelvic floor issue exercise, they wouldn't be in that situation right now. So there are there's always something you can do. And I think that's the, the, the general accepted feeling that we've been that we aren't that we understand that we've been fed is that, oh, well, you've had children. You, there's nothing to do. You just have to put up with it or just wait till you've had all your babies and then we can have surgery. And both of those are just completely inadequate and they're not serving women well because we need to actually say do you know what I don't think it's okay that I'm peeing myself when I'm yeah. down the road. you should be able to I'm laugh not. or jump yeah, exactly and I think the fact that we kind of go you know oh uh, you know it's like a tidal wave I've had three children so of course I, I wee myself all the time it's like no it doesn't have to be that way and the, accepting it is just is is you know undermining women right <laughs> yeah no literally so why is it that it's only now that these sorts of because i know that you've met with ministers and 
yeah. what a minister at least and you've been into we met with Dame Sally Davies, who's the chief medical officer of the NHS England, and we met with Baroness Cumberledge, who is the uh, she the, she wrote the Better Births um, uh, document, which is being run out in hospitals at the moment. So trying to make birth um, a better experience for women, um, and so we met her sort of in an advisory capacity. We wanted to ask her how we could move forward with our campaign and how how we could get it into the public eye and into the Houses of Parliament, and you know. Um, yeah, so I mean, our, our main aim is to explore the case for changing postnatal care. So whether there is a case for looking at what's happening now, what women are experiencing um, and how it's, whether it's not working, how it's not working. Um, and if and if there is a case for change, to see how we can make that happen. So, um, you know, actually, we're actually trying to change the way that women experience their immediate postnatal care but essentially I mean I guess the overall the the overarching aim is to smash the stigma around post uh, around pelvic floor health Ooh. so that women don't suffer in silence so women you know if you have had a, a, a sort of issues of pelvic floor dysfunction from your baby you're birthing your baby babies 20 years ago you know now come forward now go to your GP yeah. go to the women's health physio take some action now because then you won't have to wear tenner pants every day yeah the rest of your life you know yeah. it's, it's trying to kind of just sort of uh, yeah uh, give yourself the basic um care that you would offer you know your newborn child in terms of wanting to make sure their life is content and full of uh, you know potential joy for the future yeah um because you know we only get one life and you just you need to make Indeed. sure that you're you're living it to the, the most fulfilled that you can exactly and not by the standards of someone else yeah so yeah. thinking I, about sorry go on no no, no you go, you go. <laughs> no I was, I was going to move into joy yeah because you, you were talking about um you know living uh, a, a life that is joyful and to your full yeah. potential and stuff so i i you know hashtag all over the place and I talk a lot about everyday joy because yeah. when I had my own experience of feeling low and yeah it's funny you were talking about going to your GP when you were feeling really sad after the death yeah. of your friend and your GP basically gave you you know a bit of counselling and said you know you've got it within you yeah he was I, lovely with the GP I was very lucky very because I went to yeah. my GP when I just thought I feel really stuck this just doesn't feel like my normal I had spoken to people and because of my usual presentation they didn't get what I was saying um yeah. And I'd also started to experience um, anxiety and didn't realise that um, I'd had a couple of panic attacks. Mm. And when I went to the GP and explained, the first thing she tried to do was give me medicine. And oh, I was like, really? no, yeah. that's not what I'm asking for. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the social worker came out and <laughs> so she took a different approach. And I just thought, gosh, how many times are people shoved with medicine? Yeah. Um, but because of her response... I thought, okay, she wants to take me down the medical model. I want to go via the welfare model. I actually want to look at the thing in its entirety. Um, and in slowing down and doing that, I thought, well, the first thing I thought was I need to reduce my social work because it was making me sad. Yeah. Um, 
So what do you need? Taking on board this sort of... Literally, I was a vessel and I didn't realise that I was just carrying around, I was like a container, carrying around all of the trauma of the people that I work with, as well as the frustration of working within a system which isn't built to support, really. It is built to observe and then um, it's like observation and arbitration. It's not really built to provide the support that people need because it as far as the government's concerned it takes too long so there was that combination and just embodying a mindset of analysis rather than appreciating things as they were so I thought to myself right I need to strip back the work there's this business that I want to create I want to have time to cultivate that and I still need to live work out what do you need and in thinking about what do I need I was thinking about well what do you enjoy and I thought Mm -hmm. gosh the things that really give me that feeling of contentment that those sustained feelings of joy really are those moments of everyday joy right so it's the the, so I was able to um nurture myself back into balance so that my baseline was contentment rather than minus partly there was a whole range of things I'm not trying to make out like you know focusing on swaying trees is a panacea (laughs) for all mental health but noticing taking time to notice really has assisted me in being able to reframe my mindset absolutely yeah definitely I mean I uh, when Zoe died I don't even know where I came up with this whether it was from my own brain or whether a yoga teacher said it or, or or um reading some magazine but I suddenly became really fixated on moments of pure happiness Mm -hmm. so and whether that be and I I just because I remember feeling really with a real clarity that my baseline my kind of everyday was really like I really felt like I was dissolving into tears I was crying so much Mm -hmm. I almost I felt like I was liquid you know I remember kind of feeling like I needed to anchor myself somehow because I was just dissolving yeah and and so I I started to realize that if I anchored myself with a moment of pure happiness whether that's listening to a song that I really loved or whether that's as you say looking at a swaying tree Mm -hmm. or something that just or or, you know stroking a cat it all sounds very very mundane but it really but it's a huge pattern disruptor exactly yeah and so realizing that these things that offered me joy it was savoring that joy and noticing that I was feeling that as you say noticing because sometimes we just especially when you're feeling depressed I think it sort of everything turns gray and it can really just turn down the technicolor it sort of mutes everything you don't really feel anything you know it's not even and I think particularly after I'd been through that kind of initial um sorry my printer (laughs) is having (laughs) having a meltdown can you just hold one second Sorry, Anya. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so we were talking about um, noticing. Yes. So I think almost the, so when I was in the kind of depths of that initial grief and when I'd split up with my partner as well, it's that it's almost like you have too much feeling. But then when you go into a depression or a malaise where you're not feeling anything, Mom. it's all a bit meh. Um, it's almost then when it's even more paramount to sort of find those moments of pure happiness. And and I, like my, my husband now almost kind of, makes fun of me because when, whenever he sees a particular look on my face he's like you're having a moment of your happiness <laughs> he's like if I'm kind of noticing that Morris and Freddie aren't beating each other up or you know like and I always and it's what I think for me as well I'm, I really am aware now that if I stop 
savoring those very small moments, that's when I'm. That's when the decline, you know, the kind yeah. of negative spiral can happen because yeah. it's so. And it's so easy to start to only t- tune into your internal cricket, cricket, mm-hmm. <laughs> critic, 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 cricket. There's one there too. That's quite nice. Um, yeah, and so I just think for me that's such a baseline in terms of everyday joy is 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 really savouring and taking note because I think also it's that gratitude journaling or yes. you know, journaling anyway, but particularly sort of writing down things you're grateful for. It seems so twee and so sort of silly, but actually once you start doing that and picking out the tiniest things and the big things but the tiniest things are more powerful powerful yeah when you and then you start kind of you foster an ability to sort of well you're looking for that you know you're kind of able to see it because your your eyes are more open yeah and when that little cricket or critic starts you can (laughs) say I know what you're doing I've got something that I can do to put you back to bed yeah and just an ability to know that everything you know that kind of inner Buddha knowing that this too shall pass yes everything yes. is a phase and and you know that kind of gives you a sense of balance as well realizing that it's all like the tide kind of ebbs and flows yes um and also just the ability to know that actually being happy all the time and happy in inverted commas is not sustainable i think we you know this kind of culture of being happy you have to realize that it's, it's that as you say it's that low that that sort of what your normal is what your your balance is mm-hmm. that's what you need to aim for if you're feeling you know being happy all the time finger snaps yeah (laughs) it's fake and you're setting yourself up to fail I think that if we spent more time concentrated concentrating on being whole rather than happy like happiness it is that dopamine it's like you're chasing a high it's like a drug addict chasing a high but if you are focused on feeling whole and grounded and that sort of underlying contentment that is a much better place to aim for because whether you go up or down that is your base that you will always return to yeah and and finding that is really important so I think if you're so it's like I remember Nick too much mothering information she said something really interesting she was like doing the journaling has made her realize that being calm having an inner peace is actually really unusual for her and I thought that's really interesting because until you find that base that sort of inner peace and you think oh actually this is really nourishing and I and you can then recognize when you're not there anymore and yeah. you can know what it might take to get you back there so yeah. I think, and that's what my GP meant I think when he said you know it seems you know how to get out I think he kind of I don't know really how I think he'd been my GP he was my old GP that I went to since I was a child okay you know, my mum and dad's house because as you as I told you I moved back to my mum and dad so I also moved back to my old GP yeah and and he and I was really lucky because I think he sort of somehow managed to recognize that I was aware of what was going. I was aware that I was in a kind of trough. And so he didn't. And I think medication is so useful for lots of people. But mm-hmm. I knew, I just knew that for me, it, taking medication wouldn't have changed the fact that my no. friend died. You know, no, exactly. Exactly. So it doesn't you know. do the exploration of yeah. the thing or things that led to. Yeah the trauma and I know that, that led to a friend of mine um had medication uh for her postnatal depression and she said for her it was like being given a stepladder just to kind of get back to yeah basically yeah and she needed that kind of chemical yeah help to sort of address her chemical imbalance yeah and, for her it was, and there it definitely was is a place for that yeah 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 um, so how do you 
make the space to do that. I love your videos of you doing your Pilates with your children clambering all over you <laughs> or kissing you halfway through yeah. or whatever. Yeah. How do you manage to, you know, because you're a mother, you've got two children, you're a wife, you work, you write like millions of books. <laughs> How do you make sure that you're creating those moments where you can just notice I am a big fan at the moment. Like, it's, it's so sweet, actually, when you see your children kind of mirroring or reflecting back good and bad things yes. that you do every day. And one of the things at the moment, which I'm seeing that Freddie does, which is a good mirror, is that, bless him, he'll look at, like, we were walking down, we were walking into a little park, and he saw this bush, which was a very un, un attract. it wasn't that amazing bush, and he yeah. just went... Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, mummy, look at the leaves. It's so beautiful. Oh, Melt City. <laughs> I know. And it made me think, well, I think I, I know that I do kind of go, oh, look at that bird. Yeah. And oh, look at that quite a lot. And I, that's the kind of natural for me. I do, especially flowers. I find a lot of joy in roses at the moment. They're so stunning. And I kind of, I do take a moment to look and appreciate. And that's something that I think is a real kind of default setting for me, which yeah. is really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, apart from any, apart from that, though, I, it is all for me at the moment about noticing my phone use because I see how much of an energy drain that is, and I realise how if I if I if I'm consciously taking control and actually making space away from my phone, yeah, and that's when I give myself time to do the Pilates or to journal or to just breathe, like just to sit and or lie down and take a few breaths, um, and it's knowing kind of. I, I love the sense of like for me self-care is simply the opposite of self-sabotage so yeah. seeing it like that and just kind of or honoring your future self a little yeah. bit sort of, it's only when you actively take responsibility for your future self <laughs> rather than like you know whenever I find myself in the Instagram vortex or worrying about anything related to social media likes or something I'm, I just have to take myself by the scruff of the neck and be like okay time for yes time for a little space and, yes uh, you know so it's that for me definitely in my day-to-day -day, because as you say everything can get so busy and it's I love that um have you heard of I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote the seven habits of highly effective people it's in my um, Amazon cart I've forgotten I know is okay. it gay something or something? no it's oh, not him I, can't, anyway, but I know who you're talking about yeah, yeah. And he, there was, he did a, um, a talk, which uh, was a wonderful analogy, where he got his students to have, they all had a jar, or he said, imagine you have a jar. I've seen that. And what would you put in first? Um, if you put in sand, is there, is there room then to put in pebbles? Yeah. Is there room then to put in rocks? And you realise that you're, the fundamental things that make you happy are the big rocks. Yeah. And then everything else will fill up all the space around yeah. it. The pebbles, yeah. the sand, the water. But if you put the pebbles and sand the water in first, there's no way you're going to fit those rocks in as well. Indeed. So it's honouring the rocks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like making sure that actually space to breathe, drinking enough water, moving enough. Um, Anya, this is the message so that I needed. I needed that reminder. Pillars. Those are the pillars. Yeah. Because it is those things that you get caught up in, those immediate sorts of things. Like the, yeah. there's... You know, so much that I want to do that I can do, but thank you for that reminder. I need to focus on the rocks 
and yeah. the sand can come after. And even little things like um, drinking water. Um, Denise, our frozen high tea on yeah. Instagram, she was doing something about um, I'm drinking. She's going to be the model for my next book. Ah, oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Yes, yes. She yeah, must, sorry. she must. But even the thing that she was doing with her water. Mom, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know how much I need what we all do we're human beings and I know the impact of not drinking enough water I am a lot more productive on two liters of water a day at least and other drinks in between yeah and I know that I need to do it I've even bought myself a two liter water bottle because I work from home as well most of the time so I can have that on my desk as my constant reminder yeah and I can just fall into not doing that because I'm not being mindful and I know then that I have brain fog I'm sluggish I'm really tired I don't have the zing that I do have from something as simple as making sure that I'm drinking water exactly I think we forget that we're animals in this or you know like we're living beings so yeah the plant- if you saw your plant wilting, you'd be like, okay, it needs water. Yeah. Whereas when we're wilting, we just think, oh no, what's going wrong? Yeah. Or I just think, one minute, I just need to finish this paragraph, or I just need to send this email, yeah. or I just need to do this thing. Actually, I'll do it 10 times better if I just have a drink of water and if I actually Absolutely. go out and get some vitamin D or whatever the weather has to offer us yeah. um, and, <laughs> and come back. Like, it will not break, it will not finish if I take 10 minutes out. Yeah. Absolutely. We need to we need to honor our, honor ourselves a bit better, I think. What a perfect way to end. <laughs> we need to honor ourselves a bit better. Yeah. 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 Totally. So, Anya, we've been talking yes. now for like a, an hour and a half. I know. <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed every single moment and I am not going to be dismissive anymore about postnatal health because I always think about it in terms of babies but actually what you said like if you've had a child you're postnatal and that's it yeah forevermore so that that's what I'm going to um uh, take away from this conversation thank you very much I'll do a lot time on my Instagram now. Please, please, <laughs> please, please do, um, because I think that that is really useful for anybody that has a pelvic floor. Which is everyone. <laughs> Which is everyone. <laughs> yeah. So if people want to be able to take part in your pelvic floor exercises, um, yes. where can they find you? Um, I'm on Mother's Wellness Toolkit, Mother's Dot Wellness Dot Toolkit at Instagram on Instagram, and uh, my blog is Mother's Wellness Toolkit as well. Um, and Pelvic Floor Patrol is also on Instagram as Pelvic Floor Patrol, um, and we're on Twitter, and there's a website as well, which is also Pelvic Floor Patrol. So, um, you know, sign up for our newsletter. There's stuff. There's we're kind of developing the website at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there will be lots of information and lots of it's sort of a hub for resources for where you can go for help and advice. Uh, brilliant, um, brilliant. So yeah, watch that space. And you have um, a book in September. I do. So the book that's out at the moment is The Supermum Myth, um, which is more of a mental health kind of toolkit for uh, using cognitive behavioural therapy and different therapies um, to manage anxiety and guilt and all those kind of lovely fun motherhood. Yes. <laughs> um, my Pregnancy Pilates book comes out in September. So that's the more pelvic floor orientated um book that's 
soon to be coming. Wonderful. Congratulations. And can we just take a moment to big up the fact that in addition to mothering, wifing, Pilates teaching, doing the work that you do with women, you have written five whole entire <laughs> books. Yes, I somehow have. I have no idea how that happened. At least one of them was written when, uh, the, my second book was written when Morris was a baby. And so I am always slightly nervous opening it, <laughs> thinking how sleep deprived I was when I wrote it. But yes, uh, two Pilates books, a pregnancy book, a super mum myth, and the uh, pregnancy Pilates book, which is kind of marrying them all together as my number five. Yes. Absolutely brilliant. I absolutely love that. So we will be looking for that book in September. People can find you on Instagram and various other digital means. Oh, yes. and my retreat on the 9th of September, Ooh, yes. Anya is going to be one of the wonderful women for t facilitating a workshop. And we're really going to be concentrating on lazy bums and pelvic floors. Absolutely. I really am looking forward to that. Yay, me too. Fab. Okay then, my dear. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I will hopefully see you in real life soon. Yay. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you for listening to the 360 podcast. We can continue the conversation on social media using the hashtags Live360 and Everyday Joy. I hope to see you on my social media channel. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, rate, and share this podcast wherever you're listening. 360 Conversations is produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. I look forward to engaging with you next time.